feel like any time you preach and you preach out of the Word of God, you have something from God, yes. But there's, there's something special about tonight that I, I, I really want to, I want to minister. And um, it was very appropriate in as much as what the, uh, the men that were down here, uh, I know some of the difficulties uh, that men have in serving God and some of the temptations that come against men. And I feel like this is going to be some help. If you would with me tonight, I, I normally give you kind of a little brief thing, but I'm going to go to Scripture first. And I'm going to go to, to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Um, and I'm going to go to the, uh, if I can find it, 12th chapter. 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. This actually has been on my heart for some time. Um, I read this scripture, and um, God began to deal with me about it, and I began to build on it. And I was just going to go with a couple of verses, um, but I think I'm going to read. And I know that they only have a few, and that's okay what they have up here, but I'm going to start with verse 1. And the Lord said to Nathan, had sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. And it did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom as was unto him as a daughter." And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb, dressed it for the man and that, that was come to him. And there came a traveler. There came a traveler. Now, if you would turn with me to the book of Job. The book of Job. And uh, we know that book very well, and we've studied it many times, but this is something, Job 1, 6 through 8, Job 1, 6 through 8. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered, the Lord, and he said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, he was a traveler. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, and there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. If you would with me tonight, I'm going to preach, and you're going to have two titles up there, and I didn't know which one to go with, so I just put them both up. Have you heard the whistler lately, or have you seen the traveler? And I'm going to refer to the traveler today as the whistler. 
And you're going to understand that in just a few moments. But if you would, one more time, I want you to raise your hands to the Lord and let's thank Him for His goodness. Father, we thank You. We pray that every thought could be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I bind every unclean spirit. I bind every spirit of distraction in the name of Jesus. And I loosen, God, a desire to understand. I loosen, God, an open heart, an open door, God, in the hearts of each and every one to receive, Lord, and to be brought closer to You than ever before. And those, God, that are in here tonight that need salvation, I pray now, Jesus, I bind everything that would stop that from happening. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to go back tonight just a little ways. We're going to go back beyond the time of television and internet, and we're going to the world of old-time radio. In fact, you can still go to Cracker Barrel and get old-time radio things. You know, I would like the Green Hornet, all that kind of stuff. You used to listen to that, and it's kind of fun, you know. And, and, uh, and so that's where we're going to go tonight. And this show that I'm going to talk about was second only to suspense in terms of popularity. It ran for almost 14 years. It started in the height of World War II and ran until 1955. 692 frightening episodes. There was a lady there by the name of Dorothy Roberts, and she began each episode of this particular uh, show. Dorothy was a factory worker at Lockheed Martin, uh, and when her day job was done, she went to her night job. And all she had to do was sound 13 notes. She did not sing them or play them. She whistled them. And when she finished whistling, the narrator began each show with the same introduction. I am the whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. The whistler. Now, how the whistler came by all this knowledge, no one really knows, but he had it. But I'm not going to talk about the whistler of old-time radio tonight. I, I have no intention of it. I'm going to talk about the whistler that we find in our daily lives. Let's talk about the one who walks by night seeking secrets, and he's lurking in the shadows. And that's the one I just read the Scripture about, the one who walked to and fro on all the earth, the one, the one who tempts the souls of men. He's called by many names. One of them is Satan, Lucifer, Apollyon, Beelzebub, and the devil. And tonight we're going to simply call him the whistler or the traveler, if you would. Uh, whistling is considered a lost art. And one of the lost arts that I'm glad was lost. I despise whistling, period. It goes into my, and I, you know, this is the reason this fits so well. This is, it's a demonic trait. Someone can whistle and my, my ears are tuned badly. And it goes into this hit and I start getting violent. So never whistle in my presence. Because I start getting bigger, meaner, and turning green. Now, you don't want that to happen. So, so, so we're going to talk about it, something completely different here. Um, now, you know, it, it's a lost art. And although its usage dates back hundreds, if not thousands of years, few people whistle any longer. It's theorized that whistling began when man tried to imitate the sounds of birds and that, to a varying degree, has been a part of man's history since ancient times. Whistling reached its peak in the 1920s and has steadily eroded in popularity since then. In the late 1800s, a musical composer named Arrigo Boito tackled the false legend. 
You remember the, the one, and this some of you would understand this, the one roughly equivalent to the devil in Daniel Webster where a man sells his soul to the devil. Boito's work, Mephistophel, was based on Goth's work in an opera. Satan not only sings his part, but he whistles as well. And one line says this, The Lord of heaven triumphs while Satan whistles. That's the line of this thing. Now Job met the whistler. And the one that James would later say entices. He's the one who lures people into the shadows. Devil is the tempter. David is told by Nathan about a traveler. We hear him again called the whistler in this particular instance. In the Garden of Eden, Satan subtly coined the lie. You are deprived. God is not going, is doing what, God is not doing what he's good, what is good for you. And from that faulty premise, the tempter has whistled monotonously but effectively most of human history. It's the same old tune. It's the same old whistle over and over again. God doesn't like you. You're being deprived. Look what you're missing, especially when it comes to younger people. Look what you could be doing out there. You could be having a good time. You could be out there getting drunk, having a good time with your friends, getting on drugs. And you know, and it goes on and it goes on. It's the same old tune that has been whistled for 2,000 years. But I'm here to tell you that we are having a good time. Nobody gets to do what you did here tonight and walk away from this place full of the Holy Ghost, full of the joy of the Lord, knowing that you're ready to make it to heaven, knowing that you've got something greater waiting on you. Praise God! On occasion, the whistler has unparalleled excess to tempt one of God's children. In Job's case, it was to prove what God knew about this man. He proved death to the whistler's tune. There's nothing like having a Robertson set of ears when it comes to the whistler. One of them devils comes whistling around me. All they're going to get out of me is just a whole lot of, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I can't stand that spirit. Ooh, come on now. You're saying, but, 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 only the devil whistles. Mm, come on now. Only the devil whistles. And, and, and you know, he, he was able, Job was able to turn a deaf ears. Others like Joseph and Jesus were unmoved by the whistler. But David was taken in. Somehow, the other two turned out or tuned out the whistler. They were impervious to the song that he was whistling. Now, the radio show went off the air half a century ago, but the whistler started long before then, and he has not given up. He's still whistling that same old tune, still trying to bring people under his spell, still, still trying to get men to give in to the lust of the flesh, still trying to get women to give in to the lust of the flesh, still getting children to go out and be the way and do the things of the world. But I'm telling you that we've got a tune in our hearts that is much bigger, much greater than anything that the devil can ever whistle. Listen, I don't need a whistle. I got a song in my heart. I may not be able to sing it very well. I may not be able to sing it very loud. But I got it in my heart. And it's going to drown out the tune of a devil that's trying to tempt me. Praise God. We live and we know we live in the last days. And as that great day of our Lord approaches, temptation grows much stronger. 
the godly will be challenged. The evil will grow worse. And Paul warned of this. He told us these things were going to happen. In 2 Timothy, he told Timothy, he said, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He did not say, maybe they will. He didn't say if they were sinners, they would. He said the godly, that live godly, are going to. It's going to happen. And he goes on to say, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I said it for the last two services. I'm going to say it on the third service. We are living in the time when the spirit of seduction is stronger than ever, ever before. There's more opportunities now to be seduced than ever before. God has allowed the devil to go forth. We're living in a time of Job. When he has allowed the devil a longer leash than ever before. If you don't hang on to what you have, you're going to wind up lost. If you don't continue worshiping and loving God like you always have, you're going to wind up lost. You can't back down because everybody else is back down. You can't quit worshiping because everybody else has quit worshiping. You can't quit singing because everybody else has quit singing. I'm going to give God the best I have because in this last day, I can't afford to give up. Evil does exist. And like apples, people can go bad. And they're not good people doing bad things. There's bad people to the core all the way through. They do things contrary to godliness, and they're getting a whole lot worse. The whistler renders a tune in many formats. To some, it plays silently in the dark caverns of evil hearts and minds. The toxic pool where hatred dwells grows more violent all the time. The infernos where smoldering rages and tempers are growing hotter. The graveyards where jealousies lie grow ever crueler, crueler, and crueler. Above all, the tune of the whistler is heard as he walks by. I guarantee you tonight that in the midst of all that has happened in this church this evening, that the whistler has walked by a few people. I guarantee you that he's tried to get you to listen to his tune. And one of the things that he whistled to you was, this is just not necessary. All that happened, all those men down the front, that wasn't essential. You're the wrong church. Huh? And all those children running the aisles. Why, that doesn't happen in a, in a church. In fact, the churches I've been to, there's no children. I wonder why. The children are not allowed to worship there. They're not allowed to be touched with God. Well, they don't understand what they're, going, they're doing. Well, give them a chance to understand. You know, you can answer the whistler. You can answer him. And he renders it in all kinds of, of different formats. Chat rooms. I, what, I'm not going to say a word about Facebook being ungodly, nasty, and terrible. I will not say it tonight. Chat rooms are bad. Bars are worse, and they all beckon to those that are unfaithful. Uh-huh. Hollywood shows a never-ending supply of vices. Drugs are available to those on the corner. 
Music drives home worldly messages, magazines, catalogs, and the like showing up on doorsteps. And the tempter whistles on. To live godly in this age, it requires awareness and transparency. Those who are aware will tell you it is the repetitious nature of the music, the regularity of the temptation, the consistent pressures that finally got to them. We're living in a time when it is constant, constant, constant. The devil keeps whistling that same tune over and over, the repetition, repetition, repetition. Finally it gets to you and you say, why not? And when you step into it, it's hard to get away from it. The steady flood of enticements, the continuous onslaught of inducements, the barrage of worldly pleasures, that is where the battle is. And awareness recognizes it. Transparency admits it. Let me say this to the men tonight. That's why you need prayer partners. You need somebody that you can be transparent with. You need somebody that's going to back you, that's going to have your back, and you can tell them, say, I'm hearing this all the time, I'm hearing this all the time, it's starting to get to me, I need you to pray for me, I need you to, I need you to put your hand on me and tell me that I can make it. I need that, I need that, I'm tired of this constant bombardment, the whistler keeps whistling, he keeps whistling, he keeps whistling, he's repetitious, that's what drives me crazy about whistling, it's the repetition. Same old strident, shrill, nasty thing in the ear. That's exactly what he does. At the close of Revelation, when Jesus has said for the third time that his coming was soon, everyone responds, Amen, come quickly. In Revelation 22.20, the godly recognize little confidence in the flesh. They are aware and they are transparent. That's what they're saying here. All right, Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want you to come. We need to be transparent that way. I told Brother Fox a while ago, I said, I want him to come more. It's like I was saying this morning. That's my hope. I want him to come more now than I've ever wanted him to come in the past. I want to see my family go to heaven. And I know what the whistler's doing out there. I know. I want to take as many as we can. But I'm telling you, if there begins to be some kind of, uh, of, of an excitement, some kind of knowledge of the coming of the Lord, it's going to push us out. It's going to make us go out and do more than we ever done before and reach our families and quit backing down when we don't need to back down. Shorten the days, Lord, before the elect are deceived. The whistler plies his craft as never before. He knows his time is short. And short of plucking out eyes so that we cannot see and short of stopping our ears where we cannot hear, how can we learn to deal with the whistler? How can we learn to deal with temptation? We need a primer on temptation. By knowledge is power. James 1, 12 through 15 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Temptation comes from, from within, not without. A dog can hear frequencies that humans cannot. There are whistles that can be blown, and a dog will come running. But a human will not hear that sound made by the whistle, and he'll not react. Temptation sounds a note 
that resonates in the inward desires of a person. If there is no desire, the temptation falls on deaf ears. Do you hear me? If there is no desire, the temptation falls on deaf ears. You gotta kill that desire every day. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Every day I get up, I'm putting temptation down. Every day that I get up, I say, I'm not going to allow this to happen. Every day that I get up, I say, I'm gonna make it today. I'm gonna live for God today. I'm not gonna give in. I'm not gonna listen to the whistler. And I'm not gonna hear what he has to say. Not this day. And when I wake up the day after, I go through the same ritual. I will not hear it. I will not be tempted. I will not be enticed. My God, my God, the worsening condition of the world will not affect us unless its message appeals to some kind of unbridled desire on the inside of each of us. Whether it's what our flesh wants, what our eye sees, or or our quest for self-exaltation, the world cannot allure us with a desire that is not already within us. Remember that. And at times we can remove the source of temptation by relocation, but most of the times we must address unconquered desires within. I want to tell you something. If you don't, you don't get anything else, you better get this one. You're not going to get rid of some kind of sin that you keep giving into by changing churches. I can't run from what I am. I cannot run from what's in here. That's the problem with... Forgive me, God, Bloomington. Because nobody ever deals with sin. They just move somewhere else and take it with them. Thus, we have a whole bunch of Ichabod going on. And if you know what Ichabod is, ask Brother Hill later. We have got to understand, and if we're going to make it to heaven, any of us, we have to deal with what's on the inside. If temptation is here in this church, I've got to realize that there's something inside of me that's wrong that's causing me to be tempted, and I need to pray through it and get it broken. You don't just run away from you. All you do is take your trouble somewhere else. And if that other place can help you overcome it, then so be it. That's great. But it's you that's the problem. The enemy of our soul entices. The tune is predictable and powerful, but its approach into our lives is varied. The tempter comes through worries, riches, and pleasures. The tempter can be found in frustration, leading to feelings of defeat. The tempter approaches through feelings of self-righteousness. Listen to that one. Self-righteousness. Boy, that one just stopped me right dead. Somebody in here needs to get delivered from that. Actually, there's more than one of you that needs to get delivered from that. You may be the greatest prayer warrior on the face of the earth. You may fast 40 days out of, out of 39. You may come to every service and you may give tithes of 85%. If you do all that, you can come here to church. But if you're self-righteous, you can go somewhere else. You can go somewhere else simply because I don't need somebody saying, look at me because there's something wrong with you when you've got that. All that you do, all that you give, all that you are will never be of any value as long as you've got that self-righteous attitude. The tempter approaches through feelings of self-righteousness. The tempter comes through the fellowship of friends and family. The tempter comes through breaking our beliefs and our lifestyles. 
Go ahead, stop it. Boy, God, I'm telling you what, I have got some kind of spirit on me. I'm feeling good now. If you don't quit wearing skirts up past your knees, I'm going to do something to you. Huh? And if you don't quit wearing those muscle shirts to church, I'm going to... You hear me? That's, this is when you, when it was wrong for 20 years, how can it be right now? How can it be? If it's been wrong all that time, why all of a sudden is it okay? I'd rather go to heaven and have God say, Hey, Robertson, you know, you didn't have to preach all that stuff. I say, Well, okay, maybe I was a little bit severe, but I'm here. I'd rather do that and not make it at all, wouldn't you? Huh? You start allowing that stuff to creep in and you're going to start listening to the whistler's tune. Mm. The tempter comes through our defeats and our victories. You know that? A lot of victories can make you self-righteous. A lot of defeats can get you down and frustrated. Either one's bad, so you need a good balance. Win one, lose one. Lose one, win one. Win two, lose three. Lose three, win four. Just keep balanced. I think you get the picture. I hope you do. At any moment of our lives, up, down, hot, cold, young, old, the whistler keeps sounding his tune. Keeps sounding the same tune. With, with that warning, let me lay out the tempter's pattern. Okay? This is a tempter's pattern. This is a whistler. It's how he does it. In fact, I've used his pattern before myself. There is a way, for those of you that love Bambi, please don't listen to this. and Please forgive me because I'm just simply doing this as a, in order to lay out the proper uh, picture for you to understand. Of course, I would never do anything this myself. Just back when in my younger days, I had just a little less common sense than what I have now. I want you to understand that it's just simply laying out a scenario for you. Okay, are you ready? I used to trap coons, raccoons. And you take a five-gallon bucket and you put a conibear trap. Now, a conibear trap is a big square trap. It's got springs on each side, and you open that up. Now, I taught Brother Davis how to do this, and it worked very well for him. And, and you cut notches in that bucket, and you can put that conibear in there. Now, what this conibear does is when he sticks his head through that big square opening, he triggers that thing, and it comes down, and his poor little neck is broken. Well, what you do, and this is how the tempter works, he takes, he takes a bucket, puts a conibear in there, and he puts the right bait in the bucket. Now, for the raccoon, you put corn in there, or sardines. All right? You put that in there. You put the bait. And then you give it a peel. How do you do that? Take a little female coon scent, sprinkle it around just like perfume. And that dude, he, he walks around, he smells it, and he walks over, and there he sees on the other side of that square trap that sardine laying out there so, so juicy and vibrant. And so he's tempted. Then there's a response. He goes in, he gets his neck broke. It's the same way with us. Watch it, young men. 
Those ladies will do the same thing. They look nice. Oh, they got their hair done just right. And everything, and they put on the right scent, and, you're, and you walk a long way to come to church. You look at the total picture. You get too close and go, whap! Your neck's broke. Next thing you're doing, you're standing before me, and I'm up here shaking my head saying, Do you? Will you? And there you are with your neck over like this. It comes down to this. Either we resist or we yield. To resist is to gain strength for the next encounter. That's the reason Lee Stone King is so spiritual. He always resisted. To yield is to lose strength. I guarantee it. And you begin to form a pattern of defeat. Years ago, I preached a message called Flight Patterns. And, and if you run, and you're defeated, and you run every time you're defeated, or you run before you even get in the battle and you're already defeated, then you begin to have patterns of running. You have patterns. I, I don't want to face this. I don't want to do this. And you keep away. And you feel like you keep yourself safe, but all you're doing is learning a pattern of defeat. Eventually, each encounter should make you stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm not going to give in to this again. I'm not going to be defeated. I'm not going to be defeated until eventually you can stand head to head with the thing and say, I will not go down again. No pattern of defeat. And for those of you that are out there and you say, but preacher, I'm a weak person. We all are. It's the Lord that makes us strong. None of us are strong on our own. None of us are. But preacher, my problem is so small compared to others. Unwise people compare themselves with others. Wise people know to look unto Jesus. That's the only thing you need to look. Regardless of what your problem is, how big, how small, you still look for the same source of strength. Whatever I may be going through, it may look larger than what yours is, but I look to the same source of strength that you do. It's always in Jesus. Now, had Job yielded to temptation, Satan could have called God a liar. Had Joseph yielded to temptation, Israel would have not been spared. You think about this. When a child of God yields to temptation, someone else is always affected. When Nathan came up to David, he said, David, when he told him the story of the little ewe lamb, and David was so angry, and he said, I want you to tell that, bring that man before me, and he's going to restore fourfold. And Nathan looked at him and said, you are the man, David. David caused the faithful Uriah to be killed. And as a result, the baby that was conceived with Bathsheba also died. When you give in to temptation, you don't just affect you. You affect everyone that's around you. You affect your whole family. I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you've messed up. You're always a coming back. I know that. But I'm saying that there will always be a penalty to pay. Daniel stood true, and so did the three Hebrew children. 
Someone needs to see you stand bravely in the face of the tempter. you got a child that's there beside you that needs to see you stand true and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to let my child see me give in to this. I'm going to set a precedence right now. I'm going to set something. I want them to learn. I do not give in to this. Jesus proved faithful to the end, and so did his disciples. They loved not their lives to death. So so the Lord's example becomes something important, and so did the three Hebrew children. When Jesus proved faithful to the end, his disciples proved faithful unto death. Because he set the example. You've got to stand firm. You've got to stand tall, if you would, and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I don't care if the church down the road says it's okay. I'm not going to do this simply because I want to be right. I don't want to make any mistakes. I can't afford to lose this one. How could Solomon be so wise yet listen to the tune of the whistler? How could he be so wise? You think about that one. Wisest man on the face of the earth yet he listened to the tune of the whistler. Mark Bubeck attempts to answer that question in a a book that he wrote called The Raising Lambs Among Wolves. He says this. He said, Solomon experienced the consequences flowing from David's most glaring sins. His failures were centered on his giving into sensual sins. He followed a pattern of sexual sins. His sensual love for foreign beautiful women was legendary. And as he grew older, those foreign women influenced Solomon to follow their idolatrous practices. This spelled his doom. Solomon's moral sins had a direct relationship to one of David's darkest failures, which I've already mentioned. This is why the wisest man, he had an example set before him by David. We love David. God loved David. David was a great repenter, but David had some bad sins. David looked ahead. David, if David would look ahead to the future. You think about that. If David could go back and go back to where he was, looking down on that rooftop, and instead of looking, turned around and walked back into the room. Can you see that your failure keeps reproducing itself, David? Would you have fallen prey to the tempter had you seen the consequences? Would you have failed God had you seen the consequences? I'm preaching to somebody in here tonight because you have an opportunity not to fail. Someone within the next two days is going to have an opportunity to make one of the grandest mistakes of your life. But you're going to remember every word that I'm saying right now. I say this in a spirit of prophecy. This is exactly what's going to happen. And when this happens and when you overcome, I want you to come to me and restore virtue that I've just given to you. Ask yourself that question. If I knew the results of falling prey to temptation, would I stand true? A whole lot rides on your response to the whistler. A whole lot. So what do we do? What do we do when the whistler comes? When the whistler comes around, how do I handle this? The hedonist. Now, the hedonist is, is a pleasure lover. And he says this. He says, if it feels good, do it. That's, that's how the whistler affects him. Whatever feels good, go at it. The stoic, the rigid, says, I can overcome through willpower. That's not going to work. Not the Christian. The Christian shouldn't say or even think that way. The Christian knows the that the, the gain of resistance and the cost of yielding. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He knows the gain of resistance. When you're resisting, it never feels good. It's after the resistance is done that it feels good. 
Christian knows how God hates sin. He knows the victory that can be found in Jesus. He knows that. He does not run from temptation. He runs to Jesus. That's the key. It's not a running away. It's a running to. I, I, I can't run far enough to get away from the whistler, but I can run to Jesus and instantly be out of the whistler's presence. He allows Jesus to work on the inner man to displace wrong desires with the right ones. Job did not deny God. Think about this as the music comes. To deny Him in the here and now is to be denied in the there and then. We stand on His Word. We trust in His faithfulness. We are quick to confess failures. We don't toy with temptation. We radically excise it. We, we're ready to call on heaven for help. And we endeavor to be full of the Spirit. When Martin Luther was asked how he overcame the devil, Martin Luther replied this. He said, well, he said when he comes knocking at the door of my heart and asks who lives here, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he's moved out. Now I live here. Now when the Lord fills our lives, Satan has absolutely no entrance. You think about that. If God fills your life, there's no place, no way for the whistler to get in. So whenever he knocks on your door, who's going to answer the door, you or Jesus? Jesus, as we stand was tempted that we might have the victory. He was tempted that we might have the victory. The tempter came to Jesus after a mountaintop experience. The whistler came when Jesus was physically weak. The tempter came when he was alone. The whistler came again and again. Yet the Lord triumphed while Satan whistled. There's always a triumph that we can have. You let him whistle. Let him make all the racket he wants. I am going to triumph. I am going to win. We always win. We always can win. So let me ask you this, as your head's bowed here tonight. Have you heard the whistler lately? At first he tells you that just once won't hurt. Then when you fail, he tells you that you might as well give up. You're a failure. The whistler, my friend, is a liar. And he's the father of it. And I'm going to open this altar tonight for someone who is so weary of giving in over and over and over again. So tired of being tempted into sinning one time after the other. I know, I know what I'm saying is may turn a lot of people away. But there's somebody out there that is honest enough to say to themselves, I want to make it to heaven. I want to be filled with God's presence and spirit. I want to repent of my sins. I, I want, and there's saints out there that are tired of giving in over and over and over again to the same problem, the same sin, the same, the same ungodly desire. You're weary of that. Tonight is for you. I know someone in the future in the next couple of days is going to face something that's going to be difficult. And you can, if you take this strength with you, overcome it. But I'm telling you tonight that if you want to have that strength, if you want to be an overcomer, this altar is open for you. This altar is open for you. Come if you want something good from God. Come if you're weary. Come if you're weary. This altar is open for you.
Only for those who really want it. Only for those who really want it. I want the ministry to get down and begin to pray for some people. I'm tired of, overco- I'm tired of being overcome by, by the desire and the lust and, 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 and the ungodliness. I'm tired. I'm weary of it. There's others that are here tonight that need. They need to hear this. They need to, they need to give in to, to what God is trying to do in their lives. They, they need to allow Jesus to do something wonderful for them. There is, a, there is a strength that can come through the Holy Ghost. When you begin to confess it and say, God, I really want to be overcome. I'm, I, I know that this, this familiar sin is a part of the familiar spirit that I had from the very beginning. But I can overcome through your strength. I need to come to you and completely devote myself, give myself to you. Spirit, soul, and body. I want to be completely given over to you. It's not a matter of this making a decision and hoping that you're going to be an overcomer for the rest of your life. It's something that you say, I am going to do this every day. I'm going to do this until I can stand in the face of the whistler and tell him with every bit of sincerity in my heart, I am no longer going to give in to the tune that you're playing. I am no longer going to listen. I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to be an overcomer. Pray and believe God like you have never prayed and believed God before. And if there's anybody here this evening that feels like you're the one that I just spoke to within the next couple of days, and I just feel led in the Holy Ghost to say this. If you feel like you're the one that I just spoke to, I want you to come over to this set of steps. I'm going to walk over there and pray for you to have extra strength. Only if you feel that you're that person would you come over there. Lord bless you. As the singers begin to sing, this altar will remain open for you.